look again at uh, verses 12 through 17. This time our focus is the last verse of this paragraph. Verse 17. Um, We will be looking particularly at the first half of verse 17 and the wonderful truth that it teaches that we are, as Christians, heirs of God. But let's begin reading in verse 12. Romans 8, verse 12. This is the word of God. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So again, we're focusing on verse 17 and this glorious truth that Christians are heirs of God. Now, if you're here tonight and you are a believer, this is true of you. If you are here and you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is true of you. Our verse is very clear about this. It tells us that because we are children of God, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so my task in the next few minutes is to help us understand what that means and why Paul thinks that it should be encouraging to us. Because that is the purpose of the verse. Encouragement. This verse is meant to help us in our battle against sin, in our walk in this world. It is meant to be a strengthening verse. But it is only strengthening and encouraging if we understand it. So let's unpack this great truth that we are heirs of God with five questions. And we will find our answers from the scriptures. Hopefully by the time we're done we will have seen and felt have been encouraged by this reality. Christians are heirs of God. Here's our five questions. Number one, how did we become heirs of God? Number two, what does it mean to be an heir of God? Number three, what is our inheritance? Number four, when do we receive our inheritance? And number five, what difference should this make in our lives. Let's begin with question one. Are you ready? Okay. How did we become heirs of God? And there are two biblical answers to that question. First, and this is explicitly stated in our passage, we have become heirs of God through adoption. This is what we were learning about in verses 14, 15, and 16. By grace... God has chosen us, placed his spirit within us. He has taken us to himself. He has made us his children. 
He has adopted us so that we cry out, Abba, Father. In the culture of the first century, especially in Rome, most adoptions took place for the purpose of airship. This was the motivation behind the adoption. A powerful man or a powerful woman would legally adopt someone so that when they died, their wealth and their name and their power and their prestige and their status in that society would move on to the person that they had chosen to adopt as their child. This was a concept that these Christians living in the capital city of Rome, right? they're receiving this letter right there where this is a very common practice. They would have known all about this. Emperor Nero is the emperor when this letter is written and received. And just months, we think, before this letter was written, he was adopted by the previous emperor to make sure that his transition to the emperorship went smoothly. The whole idea of adoption in Roman culture was about heirship and passing on an inheritance. The logic of Paul's statement then is this. Because we have been adopted by God, we are now his children and his heirs. We are his heirs through adoption. There is a second biblical answer to how we have become heirs of God. And this answer is hinted at in our verse. We have become heirs of God through Christ. We are heirs of God and we are fellow heirs with Christ. This does not simply mean that we are now brothers and sisters of Christ. And it does not simply mean that we share an inheritance with Christ. No, it means a lot more than that. All of the Father's inheritance goes to one person. Jesus is the firstborn. Everything goes to him. It is Jesus, as the head of us all, who receives the inheritance from the Father, and then he shares it with us. Remember, there would be no adoption were it not for Christ and his cross. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Jesus did what Adam could not do. He perfectly obeyed God. And he did this not just as the Son of God. Jesus came and lived and died perfectly and obediently as a real human being. And as a real human being, Jesus was appointed the Son of God in power. This is Romans chapter 1, verse, somewhere in verses 2, 3, or 4. Right? He was appointed the Son of God in power so that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. Jesus had already had all authority in heaven and on earth as the Son of God, the deity, the second person of the Trinity. But when Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God and given all authority in heaven and on earth, it was as a God-man. It was as one of us. God has given everything, everything to this man from Nazareth. What good can come out of Nazareth? Right? Everything has been given to him. And rather than keeping it all for himself alone, Jesus has accomplished our salvation, brought us into this family, 
and he now shares his reward his inheritance with us there are many verses in the new testament that speak about this matthew 25:21 what will christ say to his people on the last day he will say enter into the joy of your master you see it's his joy <laughs> it's the master's joy but we get to enter into it luke 22 jesus says this to his disciples He says, you are those who have stayed with me in trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Notice, Jesus says, it's my kingdom. It's my table. And I'm sharing it with you, that you will eat at it with me. Jesus shares his inheritance with his people, his bride. Revelation 3.21, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So the father reigns over all, but then shares his throne with his son, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus, now reigning over all, what does he do? He makes a little more room on the throne and says, I'm going to share it with you as well. You too will sit on this throne. How did we become heirs? Through adoption and through Jesus Christ, the firstborn, the one who has received the inheritance for us. Question two, okay? So what does it mean to be an heir of God? I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I'm just going to make two quick points that I think need to be made about what it means to be an heir of God. First, and obviously, to be an heir of God means that God has for us an inheritance. That's what we mean by the word heir. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, an heir is someone who inherits or is entitled to inherit property. Or, an heir is one who inherits or is entitled to succeed to a hereditary rank, title, or office. Or, an heir is one who receives or is entitled to receive some endowment or quality from a parent or predecessor. In other words, what all this means is that to be an heir of God means that there is something that we as his children are going to receive from him. There is an inheritance that is ours from our Father. The second point to be made here is that this is not like our human inheritances because this inheritance is one that we enjoy with our Father. This inheritance is one we enjoy with our Father. See, most inheritances come to us after our parents have died. Your Father will not die. He is eternal. He reigns over all. If God were to die, you would lose a lot more than just your inheritance. Right? If God were to die, the very universe would unravel. Nothing could exist. The death of God is an utter impossibility. It cannot happen. That's what it means to be God. So here's how our inheritance from him differs from human inheritances. We enjoy it with him. We share in his treasure. 
We share in His possession. We share in a portion of His glory. Think of the gracious humbling of God that He would allow us, us sinful creatures, to share in His great possession. He has brought us into His family and into fellowship with Him. And now we get to enjoy with Him the inheritance of the saints of light. Question number three. Okay. What is our inheritance? What is this thing that we are receiving from our Father? Well, again, I think there are primarily two biblical answers to that question of what is our inheritance. First, our inheritance is the whole world. You weren't thinking small, were you? Our inheritance is, I could use this word, everything. Everything is your inheritance. Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 3.21, all things are yours. Everything that exists is now under the dominion and the rule of Christ, your bridegroom. And all of it is being governed and directed for your good. And you too will one day reign with Christ over a new world and have authority with him. Remember, this world that has been given to Christ and his church is a world being made new. There is coming a day, as hard as it might be for us to imagine, there is coming a day when this world will be baptized by fire. Much worse than Noah's flood, baptism of water. Second Peter chapter 3, a baptism of fire. And then heaven will come to earth. There will no longer be a world of sin, a cursed world, a world of sickness and sorrow and pain and death. We will reign with Christ over a glorious world. And that whole world is your inheritance. This is what was lost in the beginning. Adam was given the garden. And he was told to have dominion over all living things on the earth. And Adam was going to reign with God over the earth. He was going to do on a smaller scale over the garden what God does on a, on a much larger scale as he rules the universe. Adam was given dominion over the earth. But that was lost in the fall. Now it's not completely lost. The earth is not being cultivated and worked by monkeys or bears or dogs. Man is still reigning on the earth. But because of our fall, our ability to reign has been frustrated and limited and our ability to reign well has been lost. Fallen humanity is a mass of rulers who have gone astray. Moreover, the very earth itself has been cursed so that the very ground produces thorns. All of our attempts to reign over this earth are now hindered. It's much more difficult than it was in the beginning. It's, it's accompanied by sweat and frustration and sometimes pain. The copier jams, right? God came to Abraham, however, and God promised a better country. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this promise of a place where God's people will dwell and they will rule, a land flowing with milk and honey, Palestine was a picture of this, but it was not the better country. Abraham was looking for a city with foundations, 
a city whose designer and builder is God. Christ came and he did everything necessary to redeem this world, to undo the curse. And though the curse still exists for a little while longer, it will soon end. The city of destruction will be judged and the celestial city will come to earth. The new creation, that is our inheritance. Christ conquered. He received all things. We too were to conquer by faith. And as conquerors of sin, Satan, the world, death, hell, will conquer all of that through Christ. And then through Christ we will reign with him. So listen to 1 Peter 1.4 and what it says about your inheritance that you're coming to. Peter says it is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is an inheritance that will never end. The new creation that is being given to you will last forever. This inheritance is undefiled and unfading. The new creation will have no sin in it, nothing to make it unattractive, nothing to make it impure. The new world will never lose its luster, nor its glory, nor its beauty. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we will still find the new creation as wonderful as the first day we arrived. See, our problem is we've never seen it. So we don't marvel as we ought. If we could catch a glimpse of heaven on earth... I could get sidetracked there. We better stop. Okay. This inheritance is also kept in heaven for us. Already, this glorious world of perfection, it already exists. It exists in heaven. The souls of God's people made holy, now dwell with Christ in that place. Our loved ones who trusted Christ and have already died, they are with Christ in this intermediate heaven, this world with no pain, no death. It already exists. If you die before Christ comes back, you will go to your inheritance. If you're alive and Christ comes back, your inheritance is coming to you because heaven will come. To earth. We should note that this is an inheritance that knows no division. Every child of God receives the whole inheritance. Now, yes, in all likelihood, we will have different privileges. We will have different responsibilities in the new world. We will have different roles to play, members of a body. But in a very real sense, the whole inheritance belongs to each of us individually and to all of us corporately. There is no division in the new creation. Paul was able to say to us, all things are yours. God says in Revelation 21.7 to each of us that if we persevere to the end in faith, if we conquer, we will have the inheritance of the new world as our own. He doesn't just say a portion of it. He says it will belong to all of us through Christ. Now before I leave this point, let me remind you that part of receiving the whole world and the new creation is receiving new bodies. Part of the new creation includes your old, frail, cursed body 
being made brand new. On the day that Jesus comes back, the day that the new heavens and the new earth are inaugurated, you will receive your resurrected, glorified, perfected body, a new body for a new world. And that too is part of your inheritance. Jesus has already received his. He already received his new, perfected, glorified body. His was the first fruits, Paul tells us in Corinthians. His was the guarantee of what was to come. His was the first. Ours will follow. All of this is by grace. All of this is because of his sacrifice on the cross. But we haven't even gotten to the best part of our inheritance. Yes, we are going to receive everything. A whole new world and the reality that everything in this old world worked for our good and served the sake of our souls But there is another part of our inheritance. And it is the gift of God himself. The gift of God himself. Every good thing in this world flows like streams of light from God himself. He is the source of all goodness. And our inheritance includes the streams. But it also includes the source himself. Yes, we get the rivers of good things, but we also get the ocean, our Father. As children of God, we will receive for all eternity God's glorious presence with us. You realize that's completely different than what we deserve, right? We will bask in radiant splendor We will live forever in the light of God's majesty. Everything, everything that God has done for us, everything that God is doing for us, our election, our regeneration, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, it's all meant to bring us to this one great purpose. Not escape from hell. Escape from hell is great, okay? It's great. It's a means to an end. Nor is the main thing our becoming holy. Our becoming holy is huge. It's essential. It's important. It's wonderful. Our becoming holy is a means to a higher end. God has made us his children, and he has done and is doing all of these wonderful things in us and to us for this reason, to bring us to the day when we will know him and enjoy him forever and ever in his presence. God is most glorified when his love is experienced by us, resulting in happy hearts that erupt in happy praise. God can make the rocks and the trees praise him, but that's not the same thing as intelligent creatures seeing his glory and responding in worship. The angels can do that, but they cannot know God as Redeemer, as Savior, as merciful, adopting Father. Only we Christians are able to experience all of these aspects of God's great love. And it is as we live in the experience of God's love forever and ever that we will receive eternal joy and He will receive eternal glory.
The greatest gift we receive from the Father is fellowship with the Father forever and ever. Question four. When do we receive our inheritance? When do we receive our inheritance? The first answer to that is, if you're a Christian, you've already received it. It has begun now. Not then. It has begun the moment you believed. And in a sense, even before the foundations of the earth, when God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. But let's say it has begun the moment you believed on Christ, that inheritance became yours. You have not yet fully possessed it. That much is sure. Ephesians 1.14 says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of God's glory. So the Bible is clear that there's a sense in which we have not yet come into the possession of it. There is a sense in which our inheritance is still ahead, still out there. And most often when we read in the scriptures about our inheritance, it is this future reality. Christians are a future-minded people. We live in the eager expectation that God is going to bring to us all that he has graciously promised. But there are other places in scripture that teach that there is a sense in which we have already begun to possess this inheritance. For example, three verses before the one I just read from Ephesians 1, we read this. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Notice the past tense. We have obtained. It's already ours. This is the biblical reality of the already and the not yet. We have obtained our inheritance and yet we've not yet fully come into it. So think of it this way. Think of a child who receives a great inheritance while he is still young. Maybe the child is only five or six years old, but the child receives an inheritance of millions and millions of dollars. What happens? Well, while the child legally has the inheritance, a steward is appointed to manage the inheritance until the child reaches adulthood. As the child has needs... The steward releases a little bit of the money, a little bit of the time to take care of the child. But it is only when the child has reached maturity that it is all handed over to him. It was legally his from the time he was four, right? But it becomes the full possession when he reaches adulthood. This is how it is with us. Our inheritance is ours now through Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then it is in the the records of the courts of heaven. You are Christ. He owns it all. You are part of his bride. You get it all. It's yours. But right now, Christ continues to serve us as our steward. And he only gives us a little bit of what we need as we need it. Already, we are enjoying something of the new creation. You have a new soul don't you? Right? You are new creation soul and old creation body. We are also watching our inheritance come about as more and more people are saved and the kingdom is being built. The citizenry of the kingdom of God is coming together and we get to see that and be a part of that in this life. 
And then there is this awesome reality. That though we have not yet come into the fullness of God's presence. And though we have not yet beheld God in all of his beauty. We do have God as our God now. And there is a sense in which we get to behold him now. We behold God in his creation in a way that unbelievers never can because their hearts continue to suppress the truth. But we look at the skies and the trees and the animals and even the wonder of our own bodies and we see the display of our glorious God. And then we open up the Bible and we see God even more clearly in the pages of Scripture. And then we get to do even more than that. We get to commune with him in prayer. We get to cast our cares upon him and he communes with us through the Spirit. God's love for us is shed abroad in our hearts as we read this morning, Romans 5. As we believe the gospel, as we rest in Christ, the Spirit gives us the sense of the love of God for us even as we are casting our cares and and proclaiming our praises to him. It's not like it will be in heaven. It will be better in heaven. But we have a real relationship with the God over all things right now. You're just not as amazed as you're supposed to be. This is incredible. I know you probably are. Your faces just don't show it, right? Sometimes our faces don't. Okay, this is, this is wonderful. This is, this is incredible, awesome truth. Even now in this life, we occasionally get to experience what it is to be embraced by the Father the way the prodigal son was embraced as we're reading the Word and the Spirit causes it to fall powerfully upon us and we just, oh, we just feel it, we sense it, we know it from our head to our toes. I am God's and he is mine and he loves me. That is a bit of heaven on earth. That is a taste of heaven on earth. But we've only just begun because right now we are only experiencing the measure of our inheritance that our steward, the Lord Jesus Christ, has allotted to us for this life But when this life is over and we reach true spiritual maturity and we are holy, Christ will open up the doors to our inheritance in its fullness and we will walk in and we will be forever amazed and we will worship because it's all of grace and it all comes to the cross of Christ. Mount Hermon today in this life We have only stuck our toe into the pool of our inheritance. We've tasted something of fellowship with God. We've tasted something of what it is to be being made new and to see a little bit of the new creation happening as the kingdom of God is built in this earth. But we've only just begun. It's going to get so much better. I told Emily this morning, because I'd seen Audrey on Friday, I told her, I said, I want you to know I'm praying for God to take her. If we believe what we say we believe, there is nothing better for Miss Audrey right now than for her to enter into her reward, for her to come in to the inheritance. Why would we want to keep her from that when she's so uncomfortable now? This is what we long for. We have a little bit here on earth, but it is nothing compared to what's ahead. Fifth question, what difference should this make in our lives? Well, certainly this doctrine that we are heirs of God 
should bring us much comfort in the trials of our lives. We are able to have courage and to not be afraid when we know who we are and what is ours through Christ. The Christian, more than anybody in this world, has reason to be bold as a lion. One old writer said this about a a Christian. How can you frighten him? How can you frighten him? You bring him word that his estate is ruined. And he says, yet my inheritance is still safe. You say, your wife, your child, your dear friend is dead. He says, yes, but my father lives. You must yourself die. Well, then I will go home to be with my father and my inheritance. You see, this doctrine gives Christians great security, great confidence. The doctrine of our inheritance gives us backbone. Boy, do we need backbones these days, right? In our squishy culture. We need backbones. There are a lot of spineless people in this world who fall apart whenever things get a little bit tough. They, they lose control of themselves or they melt down in despair or depression or they lose their temper and get angry. But heirs of God can walk through this world nobly with a sense of dignity, with a sense of poise. They're not so easily shaken because they know who they are and they know what's ahead for them. They are secure. They're on a rock rather than shifting sand. This doctrine also helps us to prepare our own souls for death. Yes, death can be a scary thing for us to think about. We don't often want to dwell upon the fact that we are going to die. But the more deeply we believe in our state as heirs, the more we've meditated on the glory of our inheritance, the more we will find it easy to die peacefully. We will be able to approach death with joy and peace and say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain when we spend our time thinking about our inheritance. This truth also helps us to be more generous and more sacrificial here on earth. When we know what's ours by birthright through the new birth, right? When we know what's ours through our birthright through the new birth, and when we know that that inheritance that is ahead for us is more glorious than any of these trifles on earth, and when we know that that inheritance that is ahead for us is undefiled, imperishable, unfading, it can never be taken away from us, suddenly we don't worry so much about the stuff of this world and storing up treasures here on earth. Because we know what's going to happen to the treasures here on earth. There is nothing here on earth that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's all going to go in the end. And so we learn to live on modest salaries and we invest the rest of our incomes into causes that serve the cause of Christ. We store up treasures in heaven. We find that our hearts become more eager to help those in need around us. And we can help them because we're confident of our inheritance. Like the Macedonians, right? They were, they were impoverished themselves. And yet Paul said even out of their poverty, they wanted to give more. They wanted to give more to help the saints in Jerusalem. Until Paul had to say, stop giving. And he said it was because they were so sure of their inheritance. Our hands don't hold so tightly to our own money and our own possessions here today when we really believe 
that we already have the greatest treasure of all, God himself. Well, finally, this truth makes us willing to lose and suffer more for Christ's sake. This doctrine about our inheritance makes us willing to lose and suffer more for Christ's sake. How much are you willing to suffer for the name of Christ? The more we see of his kindness to us, the more security we have in him, the more we understand what it means to be heirs, the more we will be willing to endure anything for his sake. Ronnie Smith is an example for us. Ronnie and his wife, Anita, and their son, Hosea, moved to Libya because they wanted to make a difference there for Christ. They knew the danger of being Christians in that Muslim nation. Ronnie had been a deacon in his church, and though he knew he wasn't called to be a full-time missionary, he felt that he could do more for the kingdom of Christ, teaching high school chemistry in Libya as a Christian, than teaching high school chemistry in the high school in Texas where he worked. And so he moved his family to Libya. He was going to help support a church that was already going there, and they were going to serve the kingdom of Christ. According to the statement from his home church, Ronnie's greatest desire was for peace and prosperity in Libya and for the people of Libya to have the joy of knowing God through Christ. Uh, On his profile on that website, Ronnie talked about the joy of the supremacy of Christ in all things. Well, just a few weeks ago, Thursday, December 5th, he was gunned down while jogging in Libya. And the evidence points to him having been targeted by a militant gang because of his faith in Christ. His wife and his son had already returned to the States for Christmas. He was going to join them as soon as his high school students finished their midterms. Amazingly, Ronnie's wife Anita said that she forgives those who murdered her husband. And she says that her greatest desire is that they too would come to know Christ. Their story made international news. It's been an uh, amazing testimony of what Psalm 63.3 says when it says that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Can you echo that? Can you say that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life? And you know that when you die, you're just going to experience more fully the steadfast love of the Lord. And therefore, you're a little more willing to lose a little and to suffer some for the cause of Christ. See, this is what happens when we come to understand our status as heirs of God. We're suddenly willing to be a little bit more radical than we've been in the past. We're willing to put ourselves in a little more danger, at a little more risk, to endure a little bit more for the sake of Christ for his purposes in this world. We know that at the end of the day, we're safe. The body they may kill, but they can't kill the soul. And we know what's going to happen to this body in the end. It's going to be okay too. So let them do their worst. There are people to be saved. There are Bibles to be translated. There is work to be done. When we know who we are as heirs of God, we find ourselves willing to do a little bit more, to stretch a little bit further. 
So Mount Hermon, let us learn from this truth. Let us find comfort in our trials. Let this truth help you prepare to die well. Let this truth make you a little more generous and a little more sacrificial here on earth. Let it make you willing to lose and to suffer a little more for Christ's sake. Because when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. This is our inheritance, and it is all by grace to the cross of Christ. Let's pray.